0: Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership
1: into new business. Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project. I'm Jay Harrington. Before we get started in this episode, I want to just give you a little bit of context for it. This is one of a series of episodes I'll be. Releasing in the coming months, related to a new book that I'm working on, uh, on business development, hopefully this fall. And as part of the research for that book, I'm having a number of conversations with private practice and in house lawyers who I admire and respect in order to gain their insights and include some of their stories and ideas and advice within the book. And this is one of those episodes. And so uh, to hear more uh, about this, you'll have to read the book, but uh, this episode will give you some context for some of what's to come. And in today's episode, I'm joined by Bradford Harden, who is the co-chair of the Financial Services Practice Group at Davis Wright Tremaine. Bradford, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah, it's it's good to chat with you here. And um, I thought I would just start because we corresponded uh, on email, I believe about this, but I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it in person, but you just finished a marathon in my neck of the woods in Traverse City, Michigan. Um, and from the from the sounds of it, uh, it went pretty well. So just how are you feeling? Are you recovered from that experience and uh, feeling good about your time? Yeah, I, I,
0: thanks, Jay. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I do. I, for, first of all, Traverse City in Northern Michigan is a beautiful part of the country. It was my first visit and Yeah, I was very impressed by the kindness of the people and the beauty of the lake and the surrounding area. Um, It was a very nice visit. And it's been two weeks tomorrow since the race and I've started running again and feel good. Uh, The race itself was a a personal best for me. So I was pretty excited excited to achieve a big goal that's been kind of a long time in the making. So my my deep thanks to the folks in Traverse City for making that happen for me.
1: Awesome, yeah, I know it's always a good race. And uh, a lot of fun here. So so uh, you know, it made me think as well. Uh, it kind of sets us up for this conversation because there's there's a lot of parallels, um, I would imagine. and've I've run one marathon way back in the day and and certainly uh, you know, knew that oftentimes the most valuable part of that experience is the training itself. and and there's a lot of parallels between, um, running and particularly training for and running a marathon and and building a legal practice. i mean, is that is that something you think about those those parallels, or is that not do 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 you not you know think that's the case?
0: Oh, I absolutely believe it's the case. Mm-hmm. And you know one of the things that has really been a key, I think in my own success in in law practice and in running as well has has been you know, my ability to take a long term view of um you know of, of goal setting and progress towards those goals like building the law practice that i have today has been something i've been working on for almost 20 years you know and i've done that in a more or less linear fashion um and it's required consistent effort over that length of time in order to get to where i am today running is very similar right i you know i have been running also for probably 25 years i i guess um and, you know, it, in, in the same way, it has taken a lot of daily actions over a long period of time to put me in a position to, to have the performance that I had in Trevor City a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, I view them both as the kind of undertaking that has a very long duration to it, where early efforts compound over a long period of time, um, and where, you know, any one day's effort is not the difference maker the difference maker is the consistency of effort over time
1: yeah yeah no that makes perfect sense i mean that's certainly the way i think about it um it's really true with anything um so thanks for sharing that experience um so yeah i mean you you mentioned you kind of a linear uh you know small steps linear growth uh to get to the point where you're at with your legal practice right now but maybe we can kind of go back and and turn the clock back a little bit because uh, I think with every lawyer I mean it, you kind of have to recognize these things in the rear view mirror but um, there's typically some sort of inflection point where you know you go you start to transition from a you know head down associate billing hours to someone who starts thinking about yeah you know someday I want to build a practice of my own um, And so is there something that stands out in your own experience as that sort of inflection point? And it may not be like one specific moment in time, but a mindset shift or um, some mentorship or something in your experience that kind of got you started down this path of really wanting to, and in fact, building a legal practice.
0: Well, one of the things that drew me to law practice in the first place was that, you know, as a... Even coming up as a young person and and going through college and, you know, the period of working that I had after college, I always kind of thought of myself as an entrepreneurial kind of person who wanted to be, you know, in charge of my own destiny and running and building my own business. And um, you know, that complexion of career attributes really appealed to me from from the very beginning. And, you know, law practice for everybody who gets. You know, to to a partner level is is some degree of, you know, a, a business that you own and run and are responsible for, um, you know, for the health and well being of. And so, you know, it, I probably if you had asked me twenty years ago, I would have imagined a much smaller kind of format for the the business that I was planning to build. It, it worked out differently, but so that was always part of part of the thesis in pursuing law practice to me was you know having my own business in a way. Um, you know when I came out of law school um and after I clerked and I started working in a large law firm setting, you know, that was not very entrepreneurial. I mean, just by the very nature of it. You know, we had a thousand lawyers or something, and most of the teams that I worked on um had several or numerous lawyers on them, and I was the most junior member of the team. And like you said, it was, you know, very much a head down thing. And my memory of it in retrospect is that you know probably for the first seven or eight years in law practice. Um, I really felt one step behind in terms of my ability to do the job excellently, you know, just always really requiring a lot of energy and uh, focus just to do the work. Um, You know, and I think a lot of, I say that because I think a lot of young lawyers have that experience and they, think of that as a problem that they are bringing to the table when actually it's a pretty universal experience for young lawyers to just feel a little underwater, you know, for a long time. Um, and I definitely felt that way, you know, like I said, for seven or, or eight years. Um, I, I also remember a time, you know, around eight, nine, 10 years of practice where you know, all of the experience that I had up to that point seemed to kind of come together. I didn't really appreciate it was happening at at the time, but things really kind of synthesized and I started to feel good, like, like, you know, really good at the work that I was being asked to do on a day-to-day basis. And that is around the time when, you know, not only did I start to feel very confident as as, as the lawyer, as a practicing lawyer, but also I think that, you know, my performance started to be reflected in my client relationships because there was a distinct transition between, you know, the client is calling the more senior lawyer, the more senior lawyers giving me the task of doing it, which was my experience as a junior associate to one where instead the clients had started calling me directly. Um, and so it was probably those, the combination of those two things of me feeling like I had, I, I was good at what I was doing, and the clients coming to me directly, even though, you know, they were communal or firm clients they were contacting me directly, that kind of first triggered, you know, me to lift my head up from doing the work and be like, okay, you know what, like, pursuing these relationships is something that I can start to do deliberately now, in addition to my daily work, and I can manage both at the same time. So in, in terms of inflection point, like, that's kind of how I remember it. And, you know, in those early days, um, you know, building those client relationships in a deliberate way was a pretty small part of my overall, you know, time and energy devoted to work. Now it's a much larger portion, but, um, you know, it would definitely a mindset shift around that period in time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like really just, um, kind of creating almost by feeling a better sense of mastery over your work, uh, or about your work, you created the mental capacity to kind of look and see, okay, now I can add another sort of task to this enterprise of practicing law, which is, you know, kind of cultivating clients as opposed to just, you know, really focused on the work. Um, and and also um yeah, just that that level of confidence you you developed through that process allowed you to start thinking about putting yourself out there to a greater extent. So so that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that will resonate with people quite a bit. Um, do you are you able to kind of think about some of the first active or proactive steps you took um in terms of all right now that i am going to kind of start to look externally and and you know develop client relationships here's here's what my approach is going to be and i imagine that was a process of trial and error and error over time but um what were what were some of the first steps you took cuz i think those are the some of the hard steps for people right which is that first one sometimes like i don't really know what to do Um, you know, there's, I see all kinds of different ways. People talk about building a practice, like what were some of the first approaches you took to kind of going out there and, um, attempting to establish yourself as a, someone who developed a practice.
0: Yeah. So one thing I would say is, you know, all all of my experience has been in a large law firm setting. So, you know, that's the experience that I'm going to speak from. And it's people who are in that situation that, my story is probably the most relevant too you know I've I've never for example needed to um you know generate a referral network um, for a high volume of relatively low uh, dollar value matters from individuals like if I were a trust and estate's attorney for example
1: yep you know
0: business development for us is a very different thing um mostly because we we represent large corporate clients um but what you know my my suggestion, uh, about taking those first steps really gets to the point that you made about those steps feeling very difficult. And I would say, really deliberately <clears throat> to focus on the easiest things, right? Um, focus on, you know, I, I think a lot of people can let the perfect be the enemy of the good and getting started in the sense of like feeling as though in order to successfully develop a practice, I need to go out and get a new client. Like that's the that's the bogey that I need to be shooting for. When actually that's really hard, <laughs> you know, especially in a large law firm setting where you need your, you know, the clients that you need to be attracting are, are institutions. It's really hard to go out and get a net new over the transom client. Uh, and if as as someone who's starting the process of developing their own practice, you set that as your goal. You, you've made things much more difficult than they need to be. And you've set yourself up for a lot of frustration before you can start to see progress. And so what I would say to someone thinking about how to make the very first steps is think about the easiest possible things, right? And the easiest way to develop business is to get more business from someone you're already working for, right? So you if you just think about or or, or who you've worked for recently, so You know, think about the, say, let's call it five people that you've worked with this year, that you worked with last year, and that know you and that you have existing trust with that would be happy to take your phone call or meet you for coffee. You know, they wouldn't give it a second thought, right? Because you've already done a lot of good work for them over the last couple of years. Just, you know, meet with those people and ask them if there's anything else that you can do together. Like, that's the way to start. Um, And then once you get a little bit of muscle memory of talking with someone you already know about a slight expansion of your work for them, then you can start doing, you know, and you've had some success at that, then you can start doing the more difficult things like, can you introduce me to someone else at your organization that I can then talk to about doing work for them. So, you know, you're kind of getting a little bit, um, you know, one degree of separation from established trust, but you can get a warm handoff. That's kind of the second level of difficulty. And then the third level of difficulty is one where you're going into a setting where there is no warm handoff. There is no established circle of trust. You're meeting someone that you don't know and, you know, establishing a relationship with them. And that's much more difficult. But what you have to do for yourself is build that ramp of of business development, starting with the easiest and then going to the most difficult. and, you know, I like I said, I think um, a lot of people let it look too far down that difficulty ramp mm-hmm. when thinking how to get started. And it prevents them from ever making those first steps, which are so important to building momentum and gaining confidence and experience, learning what works and what doesn't work, that they may never reach the kind of most difficult level of, you know, bringing in a net new client that,
1: um, yeah. you know, it's
0: coming to the firm for the first time.
1: Yeah, no, that's all great points. I agree 100% with that. And, um, you know, that you, you're speaking to the challenge and the and the difficulty of sometimes having goals with a, just a very specific outcome in mind and that, you know, as opposed to you know, a process that you're following, um, you know, building your own system of how am I going to go about this process? You know, what what do I need to do over the uh, this long time scale in order to get to the point I want to be at in 10 years? And um, you know, identifying I want you know five new clients who are new, brand new to the firm this year. That might be uh, setting yourself up for failure. And you know, the only other thing I'd add, um, I mean, there's there's more to add to that. Certainly, I, and and I know you you have a bunch of different perspectives to share. I just this is something that I've been thinking about late lately as well. It's just, especially those in midsize to large law firms. Um, you know, just focusing as a first step also on really developing strong internal relationships, um, not only because your colleagues will bring you in on opportunities, you know, within the firm, but also, you know, your colleagues will also leave the firm and go in-house or um, go to another firm and and uh, be in a position to refer you work. So I, I know in my own experience um, at, back at Scadden, you know, a number of the first clients I got when I um, was building my practice were all from sort of Scad alumni who had spread elsewhere and and started referring work back my way so that was uh, that was definitely a valuable experience um, as well uh, Bradford, uh, I wanted to also ask you I mean you you know practice groups at different law firms are organized differently um, and you know some are you know, some will have a corporate practice. Um, in your case your practice is organor, organized around a specific industry and I was wondering if you could just talk to me a little bit, and our listeners, a little bit about, um, you know, I guess some of the benefits of having a more narrow niche focus. For, uh, for example, on a specific industry, I know sometimes people worry about pigeonholing themselves um, when thinking about an industry. And fortunately, financial services is a huge market with plenty of opportunity. But just in general, maybe share some thoughts on specialization and kind of n- uh, niche focus with a practice.
0: Yeah. Um, so we we have very deliberately as a firm chosen to organize ourselves um, primarily around industry focused groups. As you pointed out, I'm I kind of sit along with Liz Davis, my co chair at the head of our financial um, services practice group. But it really, you know, the industry orientation really is broader than um, even just our practice group. You know, there are folks. Uh, in the technology practice, in the litigation practice, in the corporate practice, in the um, you know IP team, in the tax department, all of whom have deliberately chosen to devote a material amount of their practice to serving the financial services industry, mm-hmm. um, and we think that's really important for a firm in our market position, right? Like we um, are, you know, we we seek to have our clients call us for the most important things that they're dealing with, you know, um, in a given week, month or year. Um, you know, generally speaking, that means that the issues are very difficult, um, that they're very high stakes and that they require a lot of expertise and experience to do well. Um, and when that is the kind of work that you seek to attract, you just, Nobody is good enough or very few people are good enough to do that work as generalists. And so, you know, what 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 we have deliberately decided to do is to say, hey, like, you know, we're not going to be general litigators, like we're going to do securities litigation. Um, you know, and not even all different types of securities litigation, just some sub genres of securities litigation. So that when the client, and that's just one example, but when the client uh, has a a matter that they're really worried about, they can call us and, you know, I can say, okay, here's a person who does nothing but exactly what you are seeking to hire a lawyer for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a good thing for the clients. And it's a good thing for the firm because we have a differentiated market position right you know there's uh you know some other experts in that field but not everybody is an expert in that field um and of course you know it also makes us feel as though um we have a high degree of confidence that we can do the work very well like i think a lot of times lawyers get in trouble in their lawyer client relationships when they work outside their sweet spot um and we really want to avoid that, right? You know, I don't, I don't want to take on a matter that I've maybe seen once or twice over the last five or 10 years uh, just to get the work because it's not going to go well. Like the client, if they're going to pay the kinds of rates that firms like ours charge, and the exposure is such that the client is worried about it enough that they're calling us or the opportunity is big enough that they they want us involved, you know, we owe them the very best. And we can o- we feel like we can only do that if we're specialized. So you know, it's the right strategy for our firm. It's probably not the right strategy for all firms, right? It's you know, if you think about the if you think about the medical field, for example, like is there a place for general practitioners? Absolutely, you know, like they are the main point of intake for a lot of people's day-to-day medical needs. And I think the same is true for lawyers. Like, is there a place for general practice lawyers? Absolutely. But like, if you need brain surgery, you want a neurosurgeon. Um, And, you know, I think that the the legal industry has a similar structure in a lot of ways. The other thing that I would say just just very briefly um, from a business development standpoint is that, you know, not only is there kind of an effectiveness of work and all the things that we just discussed, but um, if you're fo- focused on a regulated industry like we are, um, and I can go to a client and say, "Hey, you know, you're a corporate client. You have a lot of legal needs. We have built a team designed to serve a very broad cross section of your, um, you know, outside counsel needs. That's very attractive to the corporate client because, you know, they can get uh, negotiated rates, they can get um, quality service assurance, they can get a consistent experience." You know, but they can cover a lot of bases that they need covered without having to have a different firm in every one of those spots. So, you know, there there's part of that industry orientation that is really attractive to the clients as well.
1: Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that as well, um, you know, from my uh, vantage point as a as a marketer uh, is that it's it's also oftentimes a lot more um tangible and and seamless to be able to get in front of clients when you have an industry orientation because they have an ecosystem of attention where they you know the publications they read the conferences they attend the associations they're members of and and lawyers who you know, target that particular industry and are true experts with are within it are able to you know gain visibility I think a little more seamlessly than one would uh, be able to do if you were just, you know, sort of a generalist who might dabble in an area. So I think there's lots of benefits um, to having that industry orientation that you you described, Bradford. Um okay, so let's let's shift and talk a little bit about um this challenge that I think many lawyers face, which is, you know, thinking in terms of, all right, I've got to get in front of clients. I, you know, in I've you know I want to I want to have good relationships oftentimes that means you know investing um you know one's individual time to uh, you know meet with someone for lunch or um, you know spend time having a conversation but that takes a lot of time and and time is always in short supply for busy lawyers um and at the same time kind of expanding one's network more broadly and and you know kind of growing the pie of of uh relationships that they have how do you think about that? I mean, publicly, I see the, you know, the work you do to share ideas and create content on on Twitter and, and LinkedIn, for example. Um, but I know you're doing other things as well, like cultivating, you know, strong relationships with probably your most important contacts. But how do you think about that balance? And maybe what, what's your approach there?
0: Um, well, so first of all, I, I, I'll say i say I have my own thinking about this, um, mm-hmm. but it, it's also been Influence materially uh, recently by reading your book, The Productivity Pivot. And I would recommend that to folks. It's It has helped me really put a a little bit of a, a framework around a lot of the way that I have felt a, about the component of law practice that is business development. Um, so you didn't ask me to endorse the book, but <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it. Um, Thank
1: you. Folks,
0: folks should read that. And I'll come back to that in a second. I mean, to, to me, the, the the biggest thing is you know creating in yourself a mindset shift that um doing the things necessary to develop business is part of the job. Right. And um it, it's part of the job in the same way that mentoring and developing younger lawyers is part of the job. It, And, you know, that is a very different, both of those are very different components of the job compared to like writing a memo or sending an email or negotiating with opposing counsel. Those things are, you know, they have sirens on them, the alarms are going off, they're right in your face every day. It's, there's no question that that stuff has to get done, but, you know, developing the team and developing your practice um, are just as important. For the long-term success of your career, um, and in my experience, uh, they're actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So if you can, if you can really convince yourself that what what I need to do in order to have a successful, fulfilling law practice is I got to do a really good job at the work, like that's a little bit table stakes. I want to really invest in you know developing a team and teaching people how to be great lawyers. And you know, I want to do the things necessary to grow and develop my own business because I think that's an important part of the practice that I want. If you can really internalize that those are three key components of your law practice, then I think you will naturally start to make time for those other things um because you're you've committed to them. And I think there are good reasons to commit to them, and you get you get to this in in your book. Um, you know, i I think, uh, so much of the fulfillment that I have found in law practice um, and, you know, many of the most fulfilled and happy private practice lawyers that I know are ones who, you know, have really created a positive feedback loop with their clients where, you know, you a you, client calls you with something that's really important to them. You work really hard and you do a good job. You solve their problem. You seize the opportunity for them they're really happy and they call you again um you know and that creates a really positive effect within the practice experience it's much different than you know taking the assignment doing the assignment giving the assignment back um so that that aspect of fulfillment um, the auto- the autonomy and power that come along with having a practice those are all really important things over the long term when it comes to practice fulfillment and there's really no at least for someone like me with my disposition, there's no pathway to a long-term fulfilling, uh, um, you know, private sector practice without those ingredients. So, um, you just have to find time to do the work that will create, um, you know, will create the career over time that will feel good and rewarding and enriching for you. Um, it's not easy to find that time. It's really not, but, once you start that positive feedback loop, then it sort of gains its own momentum.
1: Yeah, it's circling back to where we started. It's a marathon, not a sprint, and you can uh, you can get a lot done uh, over time with a little bit of effort every day. Um, all right, so last question, Bradford, and then I'll, I'll let you go here. um I, you you tweeted uh, yesterday uh, before recording this episode about something that I think uh, really resonated and it's a concept I, I, I touch upon as well. And I'll read the tweet and then I'll just have you kind of expand on this a little bit, um, which was uh, the following. One great thing about being a lawyer online is that you can show prospective clients how you think about law practice and build trust well before being hired. In the best version of things, they will seek you out such a powerful tool for talented non-incumbents. Um, so can you, can you just talk, uh, I know, you know, you can only say so much in a tweet, but um, maybe some of your thinking that uh, goes beyond that 280 characters.
0: Yeah, I will say that set of ideas is, um, you know, relatively new to me. I mean, I uh, w- really was not very online uh, before March of 2020. Um you know, I just, I really wasn't, not a big social media person at all. Uh, and when the world changed the way that it did in March of 2020, um, you know, I, i like many other people, was, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to keep things going, how to meet new people, how to, you know, how to uh, encounter folks who may be clients in the future, you know, networking and so forth. And so I took to the internet to do that and and got a lot more active on Twitter and got a lot more active on LinkedIn around that time. Um, and what I've learned over the last three plus years is that um if you just put yourself out into the world on social media in particular, that you will attract like-minded people um, and the algorithms you know, for whatever their faults may be, are designed to bring people together who think in similar ways. And so when I realized that, you know, you can, you can put yourself out there and some, you know, people who want to find you will over time, um, you know, it unlocked a whole other pathway to, to ex- expanding the number of people that I know and, and the potential sources of business. And You know, many other things beyond that. I mean, I've developed so many friends uh, over the Internet. I've just it's kind of mind boggling what has happened in that respect. Um, In fact, you and I have uh, created a relationship exclusively, you know, through through our interactions uh, on social media, which is so interesting to me. Um, But the other thing that I learned, other than just bringing people together, is that you can actually get to know people really well. Because of the kind of continuous contem- uh, extemporaneous nature of social media, right? i I have learned over and over again that there are people watching who I may not even be aware are watching. Um, and they are learning about the way that I think about law practice just by observation um in a way that isn't really, doesn't really exist in the offline world, right? Like, in, in the offline world, in order to learn how someone practices law or how they think about client service or their depth of knowledge about the industry, you know, you have to kind of be in their proximity or actually work with them. But the way, by virtue of the nature, nature of social media, you don't anymore. You know, I can, uh, I, I can reach the whole country um, and the whole country, uh, or at least, you know, my entire kind of client target set, can be exposed to me and like some people will like what they see and other people won't and the same goes by the way for potential lateral recruits like you know associated councils and partners have all you know I've I've started discussions with them and and they know me way better than if I was not you know speaking publicly every day about how I think about law practice so um you know I just think it's it's particularly, as I said in the tweet, for people who are not incumbents, right? Like if you don't already have a big law practice and a bunch of connections and a broad network and all those things, you can create one online now in a way that you never could before. And I just think it's such a powerful thing for people who are willing to put themselves out there and spend a little bit of time on this, um, you know, because it strips away a lot of the kind of traditional ways of matching people together, you know, by institutional affiliation or shared credentials or referral networks. Like none of that stuff matters online. People judge you by your thoughts and what you say and how you act. Uh, And they can see that in a way that, you know, really wasn't possible in the past. So um, my success rate in getting people to get online and put themselves out there is not that high. Um, (laughs) a, a, A few people have taken taken up my encouragement but um I really wish more people would because it you know and not not only has been a, a source of new business for me and the firm but it's been you know very rewarding and fulfilling and it's created a lot of friendships and um you know strengthened existing client relationships and refined my thinking um you know and helped me learn from other people who are doing the same thing such as you so um I just can't recommend it. Highly enough to people who want to grow,
1: yeah, well, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up uh, an episode of the Thought Leadership Project, Bradford. And I hope people will heed your call to you know, get online, um get active, start sharing their ideas and and see what happens. I mean, the internet is um, is a point of massive leverage and and possible serendipitous opportunity. so I, I encourage you to. To, um to do that as well to our listeners so Bradford uh I can't thank you enough for for spending this time with us here today I, I learned a lot I'm sure our listeners will as well um besides Twitter uh and and LinkedIn anywhere else that people should uh should find you uh online or are those the two best places to connect and and see what you have going on
0: yeah those are the two best places to connect um you know you can obviously also find me on the law firm website my email and phone number and um uh and other contact information are there. So if you need to reach me professionally, that's a that's a great way to find me. But yeah, I'm, um, you know, uh, at Bradford underscore Harden on Twitter. Um, and, you know, you can obviously find me pretty easily on LinkedIn by searching my name.
1: Fantastic. And we'll include all that information in the show notes. So again, Bradford, thank you and really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me, Jay. Okay. Thank you for listening to the
0: Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.